0: Hello and welcome back to Sitting In. It's been a while since we recorded an episode and I'm delighted to be joined by my fantastic... fantastic, The fantastic Sitting In team, Callum Stevenson and Jack Handyside. Crowd goes wild. (laughs) So it has been a while since we recorded an episode and what we've decided to do is between season one and season two, is run this new kind of project called sitting in jams. And the idea is that we, the team, we the team, sitting in team, we will jam a concept for about 20, 25 minutes. And we really want you to be part of this. So every week we'll be asking for questions from you to get you involved. And who knows, maybe somewhere down the line, we'll actually get you on the show and just answer your question with you on the uh, on the podcast. that would be fun. So yeah, I don't think there's much else to say about the, the project itself, but what we thought we'd do to get started is do a Q&A. I think Q&A's are always a fun way to get started and we've got a bunch of questions from people on Instagram primarily. So what I'm going to do to get started is I'm going to spin the wheel of questions. We tried to come up with a better name, but uh, unfortunately there wasn't a better name presented. And we're going to go through the process, of answering these questions. I just want to say, though, before we get started, does anybody want to share anything or say anything? Because it's been a while since people heard Jack's voice. It's been a while since well, nobody's heard Cam's voice. Nobody, nobody's like heard Jack. Voice. Jack, do you want to do you want to
1: say something? No, just that uh, we've got a lot of fun things in the store, and it's going to be really exciting to just roll them out as well. The three of us have had some really interesting and detailed chats about all the things that we want to roll out and how we can get the listener sort of integrated and 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 feeling like they're a part and interacting with sitting in as well and so i hopefully you know today is the first day of us being able to roll out lots of these ideas but yeah just really looking forward to it and happy to be part of the team
2: yeah 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 no i'm exactly the same i'm just looking forward to um just getting into conversations about music it feels like it's just been too long and doesn't it doesn't happen Often enough I feel like it doesn't happen often enough So yeah, looking forward to it
0: Absolutely And I shall just say that I've, I've known Callum for a few years And Jack for a few years as well And I couldn't be happier To be working with such uh, stallions So thank you lads And let's get started So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the thing It's going to spin And we're going to be presented with a question I'm kind of nervous yes, about yeah. this Oh, great starting question so, from who is Greg Jones on Instagram? We have the question: What have you been shedding lately? And Greg, great question. Thanks for that. That is a question I I, I pretty much just ask everybody, even if I've just met them, and like I know that they play drums, I'll be like, Oh, what have you been shedding? And for me, it's a good doorway into oh all sorts, all sorts, finding out what they're shedding for one, but also what kind of music they like to play. Maybe yeah, I don't know. Shall I start that one? Yeah, go for it, man. Go I want it. to hear what you're working on. All right. So uh, for me, practice is such a, a here and there thing these days. I find that sometimes I really hit it and I'm super focused and sometimes it's a way bit more sporadic and uh, maybe conceptual. So I might be practicing a sort of concept of like trying to not think too much whilst I'm playing, whereas the other side of that will be I'm practicing a tune and I'm really focused on achieving that. And right now, what I've been practicing a wee bit more is is actually a funny one, because I feel like I come in circles with this quite a lot, but actually taking the tunes that I'm practicing and using a looper to practice through them. And I find for me, that's a twofold kind of process. First of all, it lets me hear my comping back to myself and gives me some things to think about, either rhythmically or voicing, or, you know, it just gives me an idea how my my chordal kind of accompaniment is and then the other side is that it gets me better at playing that tune you know maybe playing through the changes the melody whatever it may be and this is something that I kind of I sometimes do for a while now sometimes don't do it for ages sometimes I'll just use a metronome and like only ever play through the changes and like do the the whole solo guitar thing as well but I found more than recently maybe actually inspired by playing with Jack uh because we got to play together recently which was just a, a a delight is yeah just want to work a little bit more on comping and yeah it's was a good way for me to kind of get an all-encompassing practice session so i've been playing tunes with the looper a lot Who's gone next cool yeah
1: um i suppose i'll jump in as well uh do you know the thing that i've been kind of working on most recently is a lot of kind of non-functional harmony stuff so weirdly enough like a lot of vamp Sort of music as well, which I, I think, Reese, you and I have talked about before. So the stuff that you would hear perhaps from Return to Forever or the electric band, Chick Corea stuff, that stuff has always foxed me in terms of what kind of language I would use over it, because it's not strictly uh, what you might call kind of traditional or a place for traditional bebop language. So I have to really rely on either creating or learning this new sort of rock jazz sort of language um which is such a it's a it's such a funny sort of term even to to describe it but i've had to kind of really go back in my thinking and think to myself okay this is, a, this is a new sort of environment sort of work around so working through tunes like uh what i've been working through um charged particles uh humpty dumpty tunes like this that are really i mean they're ferocious tunes in their changes and they really kind of catch me off guard because it means that i have to sort of develop some 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 new ways of being lyrical over them as well but i suppose off the back of that as well and as you mentioned that you know we'd played together and there's there's always things that come up you know when you play with people that challenge your ways of thinking or your ways of playing and especially in in what we were working on as well something that, that really popped up with me was trying to be a bit more concise about the ideas in your choruses and i say your, i mean mine uh but yeah try, trying to kind of develop an idea take an idea and really sort of develop it through multiple choruses and so one way i've been trying to I suppose, shed that in particular, is recording myself, say, playing three or four courses, and then trying to hear if I have managed to take that one theme and develop it enough so that by the end of the course, I can still quote the original melody. So it's always sort of trying to create a storyline through your improvisation. That's something that I enjoy it as part of the players that I listen to, and in all kinds of disciplines as well, and all kinds of compositions. But I suppose, yeah, you know, one way of sort of thinking about that would be soloing from the perspective of a composer so that there is always a, a is a theme in in what it is that you're playing and so you're not just sort of inputting random things that you know that you know will work in certain places uh, so that actually there is this what you might call individual solo that comes about that that, that can't really be I suppose, pieced together and and, and and attached kind of anywhere else. It really just exists within that time as well. And so, yeah, trying to develop ideas through courses has, has been the main sort of thing. But,
2: um, yeah. Nice one. Sweet, I'll go next. Um, so I've not had a massive amount of time to shed, um, but with the small amounts that I've had lately, um Reece, you brought me onto this, was Tim Miller's 2-1 uh, method. So, um it's a really interesting method of just using numbers to essentially um, two notes per string, one note per string, and use that through lots of different just devices that you would use to essentially paint, improvise, all these different things. Um, and yeah, I'm just I'm having fun getting what Tim calls the profiles. There's like three main profiles um, that you get down, which are just these kind of shapes um, that you can apply to essentially any scale, like pentatonic, to even modes and stuff. Um, so I'm just getting the shapes down for them and having a little play around with them and just trying to find sounds that I enjoy. Um, it's really... I, I kind of like that method because it takes you away sometimes of saying you know, there's a specific scale that goes over a specific chord. And sometimes that's super useful, but I think it's really nice to just have a method like that where it's just the ears going. I like that. Which is like, I think that's a really good way to work. So exploring a little bit of that and really trying to take in a lot of um matt Schofield's playing um i really like how he just works over blues changes uh so i've been listening to a lot of his music and yeah taking some some little courses um from true fire and uh, it's a great website but a few courses from that website from matt Schofield, just trying to get that language down a little bit of how he approaches changes in the blues
0: solid it's always always insightful. like i really do enjoy hearing about what people are practicing cuz um, sometimes sometimes it's it, it makes total sense and you can understand why someone's practicing that cuz it's within their thing but sometimes i talk to people and they're like practicing the weirdest things like oh uh sitar embellishments it's like on an electric guitar you know sometimes i'm super surprised but yeah well we're uh we have a lot of questions to get through so we we better get going this one should be quite a quick one this is from tom baloro tom baloro uh is asking single calls or humbuckers uh if you'd asked me this 10 years well i don't think 10 years ago maybe like seven years ago i'd uh, straight up single calls but i'm well and truly a, a humbucker
1: guy now i'll side with that as well i think i'm i'm too attached to the humbuckers on uh on my ibanez so i can't really see past it i mean i play single calls on uh, the telecaster but I don't know. I I I always feel like I'm maybe missing something from the single coil sometimes, but yeah, I'm 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 gonna have to side with you on that.
2: I, I'm I'm exactly the same most of the time. Um, my playing style kind of just really fits like a really bluesy cut through like thin kind of strat tones and stuff with the single coils, but having humbuckers, just that extra punch and the way that it, the way that it's kind of translated through effects and stuff like that. It just I don't know. There's something about the humbuckers that um i've stuck with for such a long time now
0: nice thank you for that question next question is from isax1404 who i'm imagine might be a saxophone player they are asking uh i guess this question is for me specifically how do you use the sub and up in your playing i love it it's also a crazy yeah crazy pedal the sub and up is an octave pedal from tc electronic and anybody else use that by the way I've given it a hope. shot, yeah it,
1: I, I really, I, I couldn't get to grips with it But um, I noticed actually when I was up um, I noticed it on your pedal board I, I also actually wondered if you were still using it as well Because you talked about it a couple of years ago And how much use you were getting out of it
0: Yeah, no, it's a fab, fantastic pedal it's, it's a lot of fun I find the I use it quite a lot For If you listen to Jonathan Kreisberg He does this really cool thing Where it'll have like a distorted tone kind of like jazz tone it's like it's quite dark arch top but it'll have an octave higher just sort of like not even 50% mix you know like maybe 40% just in the background so I find that like if I'm playing a tune and it, it starts getting kind of heavy and cooking like just chucking that on just to give everything a wee bit of a lift I quite like to do that but I also quite enjoy just for fun uh, using like the fake kind of organy sound that you can create on that it's quite fun if I've actually played gigs as like a duo or a trio where I've kind of pretended to be an organ and played through a blues with like that pedal, and that's quite fun. But yeah, I mean, that's that's how I use it personally. I'm sure there are a million other uh, ways to use it. Thank you for your question. All right, onwards to the next one. What are we going to get? There's one question here I'm quite anxious about. I want you to know what it is when it comes. All right, cool. Joel Q, so that's Joel, K-E-W, is asking... What standard is your favorite to play? And I'm going to let
1: Jack start this one. This is tough, you know, because I feel like I don't stay on standards for like longer than maybe a month sometimes. I feel like my process for learning standards at the moment is that I'll usually sort of take one, explore it, you know, really dig into it or maybe a selection of standards. Say it's like three or four standards, really dig into it, uh, start to enjoy it. And then just move on to something else. So for for a while, I was really exploring a lot of the Bill Evans repertoire for some reason. I have no idea why. So I was getting into like very early, glorious step. A lot of tunes that there don't seem to kind of be many examples of guitar players playing. I know Larry Corre- Correale is, is maybe one of those people who who played a lot of Bill Evans repertoire. But yeah, I suppose recently, that's a tough one. I suppose like like I'd said before, a lot of the stuff like the Humpty Dumpty tune, that's just... If you haven't heard that as well, it's just, it's such an incredibly difficult tune to play over. But it's also still weirdly mon- melodic if en- enough that, the, you know, the melody is kind of interesting to follow. But I would have to say, um, what else? Is I'll tell you, there's, a, there's an old tune that I heard on uh, a Coltrane album that I've been listening to recently, Live in Paris. And it is a tune from Frank uh, Lozier, I think his name is, um, called The Inchworm. Which, if you haven't heard, I, I can't imagine many people will have. Uh, is It's a really fun tune, yeah. It's, it's 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 very much kind of just a a vamp between dominant chords for the choruses, but it's really worth a worth a listen because where Elvin Jones and McCoy Tyner, Jimmy Garrison, and Coltrane himself take that tune is is really incredible, actually. Uh, so, along with let's say "Glorious Step" and "Humpty Dumpty," I would say "The Inchworm" as well. So, lots of kind of quite obscure obscure tunes. That would be my answer. What what would you say,
2: Carl? Oh, you, you want to go? Yeah, you want to go for me. Um, so for me, as much as I've not really had a massive amount of experience with standards, I think one of the fun ones that I used to enjoy probably was Spain. Um, but one of the ones that I just love listening to is Pure Imagination. That's probably one of my favourite ones. I don't know why. There's just something about the harmony that I find amazing about that. About that standard. If
0: uh, if you're listening to this podcast And you're like Oh yeah I know Pure Imagination You should definitely Check out Ant Law's version He does like I'm pretty sure it's a Solo guitar rendition And it's just beautiful uh, Callum as well If you've not checked it out Like do i not you, yeah uh, I'll, I will check, check it out For sure um, This question is Cool Because uh, Whenever someone asks me What my favourite standard Wait was the question Standard to play Or just standard I can't remember this Standard to play I think To play Alright cool So my favourite standard Might not be one that I can play I don't know But um Hmm quite hard i go through phases kind of like jack there's standards that i'm like super comfortable with that i love to play like i mean i always think autumn leaves is such a fun tune to play it's like the first one i ever learned but maybe for that reason i've got this like nostalgic kind of thing about it but it's not my favorite uh it's just fun i would say one of my i'll give you three i love playing nardis i think it's super fun Just dark like Mm. that's how i feel when i play nardis uh jack and i played along came betty i'm sort of getting to grips with that tune really enjoy playing that and the other one jack and i also played was beatrice which is just a beautiful tune i really enjoy that so i'd say yeah along came betty nardus and beatrice they're my favorites all
1: right you know i i think that's the other thing as well sorry to interject there i think that's the other thing as well that if you're playing tunes with other people you know cuz it's it's great to play solo but you know something that both you and I experienced is recently uh i think we picked like 3 tunes each or something we said oh let's play these six tunes as a duo the interesting thing is the three the three tunes that each of you pick is going to be very different from the repertoire that either of you know i mean you and i had along came betty in in rotation at the time so we said okay well, this is a tune that we both sort of, you know we sort of know or shedding but it, what's really great i suppose about playing with others as well is that, if you if you if you kind of create a set list together, you start to get thrown tunes or challenges um, to learn some tunes that, yeah, you just you, you frankly would never have come across before as well. And so it was really fun playing stuff like Beatrice as well, which I know the tune, but I've never I've never learned it or never played it or never had a reason to. And so, yeah, it's really fun. It's, it's just another reason why as well, testing yourself and playing alongside other people and, and, and really trying to kind of do justice to the song is is so much fun
0: absolutely absolutely all right we have so many questions to get through and time is like <laughs> getting on so we're gonna have to hopefully some of these questions are easy and this one is super easy it's from my friend ellie paul who's saying a uh, real question when you back at the dog house which is the dog house is a place uh in edinburgh that's it hosts a really good jam session and well i don't know when this episode will be aired but today it's monday the 18th and i think i'll be there tomorrow and i think Callum will be there as well but you know I don't think that really matters because the question is, uh... well, we'll we'll be releasing this a little bit later. All right, next question. Let me see. All right, who's this from? Oh, this is Jack's question to us. Thanks, Jack. Any advice on being more confident when performing on stage? Callum, would you like to start?
2: Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, I think for me, having the confidence on stage it's really like I found it really tough when, you know, my first couple of couple of gigs that I ever had. Um quite interesting because I think the first gig that I ever done and the first song that I played was just a cover song, it was like a Kasavian song, Clubfoot. And it only has two chords. Um and there must have been like a hundred people at the gig. And I froze. Like m- my hand physically froze from just nerves. Just like I was super young. I was really, really young, I just got really nervous. Um so I think been able to like whatever you're fearful of in those kind of situations, is just like tackle it head on. It's like if you if you're scared of something like that, if you're scared of an experience, that's more reason to just go straight into it head on, because you'll gain so much from that. Because it's just it's the deep end. So it's like find your find your deep end essentially and try and battle those those kind of fears, and confidence will be on the other side for sure.
0: Yep. Sweet, Jack. I'm, if you don't mind, I'm gonna go uh, here because. Callum just reminded me of an experience that I want to share. So I, I apply this to a lot of things in life and I'll tell you the story and kind of what my learning point is. So when I was in high school I studied philosophy and that was such a great class and my teacher was to this day still one of the best teachers I've ever had and I remember everybody was stressed about the exam because the exam was coming and well people hadn't studied right and people were like studying the day off and like just trying to cram new information in. And I remember he just says to the whole class, he was like, you're not gonna learn anything new. <laughs> like, just go in and just enjoy it. And to me, I was sitting there like, yeah, man, cause like I'd obviously studied and I really loved the subject. So I was actually super excited to get in and do an exam, which is weird, cause usually I don't feel like that. But to me, it was such a creative uh, process. So I did enjoy it. And my kind of learning point from that is that you kind of need to be prepared. Like you do. There's no two ways around just like putting in the work to like know the set list and like get it done. And I'm a firm believer in like getting your stuff together before you get on stage. But and well, I guess in turn that will help how confident you feel because you'll know what you're playing and you'll be like fairly comfortable with it. But then the other side of that lesson for me was like just enjoy it. You know, if you've not got fully together and you have to read a little bit of the song off a chart or even just use your ears for a whole song, which I'm sure has happened to everybody on this podcast at least once. It's like, just try and remember that you're so incredibly lucky to be playing music and doing that, and just try and enjoy that process, because you're lucky to be doing it. So, yeah, that's how I would answer the question. I'm interested to hear
1: Jack's uh, perspective. Yeah, it's a funny one. You know, I think this can be answered in several ways. I think um, as somebody who's actually experienced, I suppose, stage fright really before, um, I thought this would be an interesting question because, Callum, I know you're doing a lot of performing work at the moment. You're sort of back on stage and resue as well, and I'm kind of experiencing that in both the function world and just in general. That after a long time of not playing, you can come back to playing live and think, oh, man, this feels a bit different. It feels a bit strange. And you have to sort of reset in a way. I remember being a lot younger because I started performing basically from about the age of 10 or 11 really and as, as kind of might come off as quite strange but I used to sing a lot as well and sing and play and I do wonder where that bravery came from I have no idea I think it was kind of like hiding behind the guitar and then hoping that the guitar playing would without do the the singing which I mean eventually did hopefully <laughs> but you know something that you learn as well and I remember learning this and applying this all the way through university and I found that it's 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 continued to be useful as well is that there has to come a point that you trust yourself because a lot of stage fright as it were or nervousness on stage comes from this place of feeling that you can't trust your ability or that you can't trust how i don't know maybe not that you control a crowd but maybe how the crowd will come across or or you know or that kind of thing I think a lot of the time, the honest answer is that you have to trust yourself even before you step onto the stage. And yeah, you're never gonna you're never gonna completely eradicate the the nerves of stepping on stage. But there is a way to sort of settle your mind and think to yourself, you know, a couple deep breaths in, breaths out, and think to yourself, Do you know what? I'm I'm on stage for a reason. People have clapped and they're waiting for me, and I have something to give, and I have an experience to share that hopefully, you know, you know, resonates with people. And a lot of the time, you find as well that. It really does and 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 people will tell you that they don't tell you that out of niceness they tell you that out of the genuine um sort of reception that they 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 feel that you gave um but yeah, just trusting yourself more that you have the ability that you have the confidence as well, and a lot of the time you'll start to you'll start to believe that about yourself as well, so the more that you can really believe in your abilities and what you do, I think the more confidence over time that you start to believe hundred
0: percent one thing that uh you could have made me think of is the idea that nervousness is just kind of loose energy that you're not quite sure what to do with and I think more often than not if you can compose yourself and be like I'm nervous but let me like try and channel that energy into something positive like just start rocking out whatever it may be that you're doing that is appropriate for the environment you're in and just like try and channel channel that energy into something that's like it could become like an intense focus, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm I'm, er- I'm nervous, but I'm going to push that into something else. All right. Next question is from Arch PK, who is asking a really good question that I'm sure we all get asked quite a lot from students, which is when improvising, do you think in shapes or actual note names? So great question. And I'm sure there'll be a varied answer. Um... My my natural answer to this is neither, because when I'm improvising, if I'm thinking about shapes or note names too much, it's probably because I'm not super free or comfortable within the form I'm improvising, you know, like I'm speaking right now and I'm not really sure about what I'm going to say next, but I'm, you know, I've got the vocabulary together to make it happen. And for me, that's kind of what improvisation is about. But I would say that when I'm in that uncomfortable situation of improvising over something that I'm not fully kind of, uh, I've not fully digested. For example, a tune like "Along Came Betty." You know, I'm I'm trying to work on it. and I'm getting a bit better, but I'm not fully free with it yet. I'm probably thinking in terms of triadic shapes. Um, I don't personally ever really think of note names unless I'm sort of doing the process of like E flat major. Well, I know where E flat is immediately on the fretboard, so I can base everything off of that intervalically. So I personally see things in like interval shapes more than uh, note names
1: i'm going to jump in here <laughs> so this reminds me of a really good quote and i if you've ever studied privately with, privately with me you'll know that i i use this quote all the time because i think it's so great this quote comes from a guy called dr john mortensen and john mortensen is a classical an early early um early music improviser that's what he does. So he's a piano player who who, who studies the works of uh, early musicians, so from medieval basically through to Bach and, and beyond, on how they would typically be taught to improvise and, and basically much of the lost art of improvising. And he has a really good quote. I remember watching or listening to a seminar that he was conducting with all these students in the room and they're asking him these really heady questions about well, you know, what are you thinking of when you move to blah, 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 or what do you do when you modulate to this key or whatever? And I remember him just saying, and I thought, man, this is so relevant because it just works everywhere, regardless of your discipline. He said, the greatest improvisers in the world are thinking about even less than you are. And when I break that down, you know, you're, you're smiling, so I've probably told you that before. But when I break that down and I really think about it for myself, again, it goes back to the sort of the stage fright thing as well and this feeling of being able to trust yourself when you play and a lot of the time we revert back to things that we know are secure like information or fear or fright you know things that ground us as or you know or that keep us kind of alert as it were or keep us safe when really music and performance and that sort of thing it is a massive risk anyway it all should be and when you when you take risks whether it's playing over core changes or improvising in in general, which is just one big musical risk, as it were, I think you have to allow, again, another level of trust in yourself, which is, okay, you've digested the information, you've sat in the practice room and thought about everything that you've done to play through a tune or to learn a tune or whatever. And so when it comes to actually improvising, it's really incumbent on you to just completely forget all that stuff and try to interact from another place where you're not interacting with theory, you're trying to interact with melody. And oftentimes as well, if you talk to a lot of great improvisers, of which all of us are, are, are trying to learn from as well, and we'll continue to try to learn from this, is, this is a journey in a way. Um, when you listen to them speak, they are talking about crafting or recrafting the melody of a song and um, reforming the melody. And I suppose the, the way in which they do that is really by trying to hear or reimagine what what, what, what the new melody might be over this piece. And so... I think a lot of that does come from, yeah, having a solid understanding of the theory of a tune or how you would break it down or analyze it, but it also comes from this place of allowing yourself to be free enough to compose and to make mistakes in the moment and to let it pass by and to, yeah, reimagine things. And that's, that's really what people are captivated by. They're not captivated by the regurgitation of information. They're captivated by creativity, spontaneity, and true improvisation, which you can interpret any way, which way you like, but me that would would really be about musicians taking that courageous step that that brave sort of step of being able to interact with a tune um freely
2: yeah i love that i love that quote i'll remember that one um it makes me think of um uh or something on the tip of my tongue that more more so that um you know the the great improvisers you know that they're obviously thinking less because it might be a reflection on just the amount of time that they've spent just doing that it's just like they they live and breathe improvisation Um, Whereas maybe some of the people asking those questions, they're still on that journey. They're still trying to learn everything and maybe shed everything and gain those skills. Uh, But for me, improvisation-wise, it's more... I'm not really thinking a lot of the time unless I get stuck. Unless I'm like, oh, I need to maybe think about what's going on or what I'm trying to react to because it's always listening, interpreting, and then like essentially just chucking something back out. Like I'm always listening to what's going on and then just... I feel like that's the only way that you can really do true improvisation which is just trying to follow where your ear goes. I say that to students all the time that if you're starting to improvise it's just just try and hear what you want over what's happening and try and make that happen as much as you can. Um, It's quite a difficult thing to do in the beginning when obviously maybe you're just learning scales for the first time and you don't know how to use them as a device yet but the more that you get comfortable with those devices It goes back to that thing you just said, Jack, which is all the trust. It's like almost trust in these miniature devices that we can use for improvisation. Um, But yeah, I suppose, kind of summed up, if I do get stuck, I'll maybe think chords, I'll maybe think chord tones, I'll maybe think shapes of chords. Um, But for the most part, it's just, yeah, trying to be as free as you possibly can, I suppose, with an improvisation.
0: Nice one. Archie, sorry, uh, we kind of took your question and like, went <laughs> in a completely different direction. But I guess uh, that's the beauty of answering questions, you know, sometimes you just, uh, you do that. Next question is from Oliver Lampson who is asking a very specific question about what do you think of rubato guitars? And I've just had a look at what rubato guitars are, and they're carbon fiber guitars. And uh, it looks kind of interesting. Um I can't see any
1: use in my life for a carbon fibre guitar, if I'm being honest. Uh, Can any of you? I have no idea about them. I've never heard of them. I'm going to have to give them a bit of a look up. Um, But yeah, I I can't say I have any experience with them.
2: I didn't know that was a thing, so I can't weigh in on that at all.
0: (laughs) All right, that's fine. The next one is also super niche, but hopefully we can just go around and uh, get it in. So this is from... Aaron Lessandrini, I think your name might be. I'm very sorry if I've pronounced that wrong. Uh, all time favorite guitar chord in my... <laughs> so um, I thought about this when you asked the question, um, Aaron, and I'm just going to have to say, I love just playing a simple open G chord on the guitar. If I pick up a guitar and I want to see how in tune it is, I'll play an open G chord. If I'm playing Bright Size Life, I'll play an open G chord. <laughs> Because it works uh yeah i'm not gonna go for anything fancy i just i actually love an open g chord i could totally give you some other answers that are a little bit more uh colorful but yeah i
1: like the way an open g chord resonates and feels on a guitar hmm, that's interesting um it's really hard to think of a specific chord i think maybe just because of the way in which i imagine harmony i find it really hard to isolate a sound without knowing where the context of that sound is and i i know that this is a a conversation for another day absolutely you know you go down the harmony wormhole or the chord wormhole and there are so many different conversations but okay let me just answer it straight then so i'm gonna say um i'm gonna say d minor major nine if you haven't heard that that is worth a little look but for some reason it's a chord that i explored a lot in my first couple months in university and ended up composing a lot around that sort of sound perhaps maybe it was just one that i was unfamiliar with but there's something about that minor major sort of sound that that's really kind of jarring i suppose hearing that major seventh but that minor third and then i think just for just for the kicks i've got the the ninth in there as well but yeah that that
2: would be my answer i suppose Callum, what would you say this is an interesting one for me because i think um this is where maybe parts of my practice can maybe differ i think from um like maybe just uh like both uh yourself, Reese and Jack, but um I really love just spending time with like a drone of something, like a drone of like a chord type, a chord quality, and j almost like a kind of meditation. I could I could sit there for like twenty minutes with like a drone of like a major seventh chord, and just just paint over that. Like it just, just there's something really nice about that. Where I don't know, it's it's one of these things that is great for getting into deep work, into deep practice. Um, and into a deep state of practice um, working over say a chord like that. I'd say one of my favorite chords, I don't know if the question was specific to like guitar chord or guitar shape in terms of that, but um, one of my favorite sounds or statements alone by a chord is minor 7 flat 5 That's just one of my ones. I just love the, I think it's from game music. I like that when I go back to game music, it's in a lot of game music for um, just making a statement about what kind of like area you're in in a game or just like just the emotion or what is conveying in a scene or like a part of a story or something like that they seem to be really important in games the minor seven flat five chords super interesting answers i feel like mine
0: <laughs> was uh so crap i'm gonna i'm gonna add in like i love a good old g chord i will stay true to that for the rest of my life but i there's one chord that also i really like and it's um just uh c major seven over g like g c e and b like that like chords with the fifth in the bass like you've you've got my heart like genuinely love that all right callum this is your question do you have different picks for different styles of playing why don't you start off
2: yeah sure um so for yeah different genres i suppose um if it's anything funky um, I just want something like a pick that's just super thin because I always try and go for well I suppose not always but maybe I'll go for like a Niall Rogers-esque kind of tone and I feel like a lot of his tone comes from like really thin attack on your instrument um, so you can especially with like a thin pick like something just below like 1 or like point, point 0.6 or point 0.7 or something like that in terms of like millimeters if you're being specific um but yeah definitely those so that I can just really have a loose wrist as well. When you're playing funky stuff. Um I find if you're using a thicker pick, there's so much more attack and it's actually more difficult to keep relaxed when you're playing that kind of stuff. Um as for like bog standard stuff that I use, it's usually like a one mil pick. I suppose it's more the kind of thickness than anything else. Um and yeah, just how it again, going back to the attack, I think it's quite important to have a specific sound. Um for the style that you're playing in, because I think that the way that you approach the instrument, uh, regarding attack, just changes everything that way. But that, that's that's what I would say. Yeah. So I typically play a lot of this. I, I use the
1: same pick essentially for a lot of what I do. But I have noticed as well, and you can actually try this at home if you're if you're somebody that just seems to have picks everywhere as I do, but only use maybe the one. So I use this little thing called a Dunlop 205. It's a graphite pick. Now I'm looking at that pot of picks that you have there, Reese, and it just looks like a bottomless pick pick uh, wormhole. Um, but I use yeah, I use this Dunlop 205 pick, and I find typically it's like it's quite a rounded tip, and the sound that you get from the strings is, I suppose, quite a dark sound in a way. It doesn't react like a plastic pick or uh, some kind of what would you call it, like a, a bonded pick, where it's made of two different two different uh, materials. But maybe it's just just to do with the shape. Or just to do with the feel, but I typically have stuck with that. I found that the Jazz 3s, I, which I did use for quite a long time, I liked the shape. I liked the fact that it didn't fly out of your hand because it had the little grips near the near the thumb. But I also found that the point and the material that it was made of was a bit too sharp for my liking. And this is where I think maybe, maybe I had gone down the path of choosing a pick and trying to kind of develop a sound from what it sounded like. Uh, yeah, perhaps more just based on sound rather than kind of what it did to my technique. But I have noticed as well, and this is, sorry, this is the point that I got very sidetracked on, which is I have noticed that when I change from my 205 Dunlop pick to say a larger pick, like say, uh, what's this here? This is like a Fender medium. So This is maybe like one of your regular, regular size picks. Something you do notice is that when you use those bigger picks, you seem to be able to uh, place kind of string skipping uh, phrases or exercises a lot easier just to due to the surface area of of the utensil that you're using really um which is really useful i suppose in some instances but typically yeah i stick with the one really i'm pretty boring like that but uh there are times i have noticed whenever it comes to playing with a strat or trying to kind of get into the world of country which i do sometimes from time to time do uh, it requires a pick of a different material Eha! well
0: i uh i have a few different picks that i use The last year has been like a pick fest for me. I've tried so many different things, because I used, uh, for a while I only used one specific type of pick. But I've kind of settled on, there are three that I'm thinking about, I'm holding two in my hand. One is some sort of Jazz 3, I do really like the prime tones, um, and I also quite like the Jazz 3 max grip. I think it's got like carbon fibre in it or something? Um, another thing that I really like from Archtop is the 207, similar to Jack's, but a bit bigger. And when I'm playing acoustic or if I'm playing a band, like there's one gig that I do where I have to be able to do lots of different stuff. So there's like funky parts, there's lead parts, and then there's some like rocky kind of heavy stuff. I use this pick called a Dava pick, and it's like a rubber body with a plastic tip. And it's really good because if you hold it, quite close to the edge you can be very precise like a Jazz 3 but if you hold it a little bit back you've got more surface area and it's, it's super easy to play funk with because uh, it's rubber. So I have 3 I never used to, I used to just use one thing for everything. But I'll tell you what if you, if you don't know what kind of picks you like, buy like a multi-pack and then record yourself, like properly record yourself into uh, the computer, record your amp and you'll realize the big difference that a pick has on your tone uh, and maybe your technique as well, actually. I find that when I do a session, particularly if I'm hired to do like, acoustic guitar, I spend ages thinking about picks because it makes such a big difference. Um, but yeah, cool question. The next question is from Sebo Gomez Music, who's asking, how do you memorize a bunch of songs easier? And that's a great question because uh, at some point in your life, if you're a musician, you're probably going to have to do that. And for me... It comes down to having a process of some sort. What I mean by that is how do you remember harmony? Like what is your process? Is it I put my fingers here and do this or is it I know that that's the two chord in the key or the five chord in the key? And I know that for me I like to work with a number system. Some people might call it like the natural number system, I just know it because that's the way that I was taught how to understand harmony. Um, so yeah I I kind of think about everything in numbers. So I'll be thinking like 2, five, one. 1. becomes 4 minor of a new key. Or, you know, I kind of join everything through numbers. And I find that if I do that, it's quite easy to memorize tunes. Uh, another thing that I like to do if I've got time is force myself to play it in maybe a couple different keys because I find that the number process is then I form with myself how well I know it by putting it into a new key. So, yeah, I would say that's uh, those are a couple things that I use, but nothing beats playing it a ton as well. Yeah. Callum?
2: Yeah, uh, I've got a few different ways, I suppose, but that's that's definitely one of them, is using that number-based system um, as well as I think the ability to just play it lots and have that number-based system is something that can just promote maybe more confidence in playing those songs because you've just got two ways of thinking about it. I think the more ways that you can maybe think about something like that those little methods just inform each other i can just sometimes help i think um but to be honest one of the biggest things that i do for practice is just listening is literally just listening to the songs i'm always thinking about maybe structures just by you know if i'm going to walk or on my way to work or anything like that i'll spend that time maybe just listening to songs that maybe i know i'm going to gig if i'm not as comfortable with some of those songs I'll maybe just point out right okay intro verse pre-codes i'll just try and say some of these sections to myself um as well as those other two methods so again all kind of like informing each other um to help you get a full picture let me jump in then so
1: uh yeah learning tunes that's a fun one because i think regardless of discipline it really does help to have a system and both of you guys have talked about having a system that you can apply to everything regardless of genre which is really great, and I, like both of you, use that same system of understanding harmony and and being able to kind of understand how the tune still moves and works and how the progression sort of works as well when maybe the key changes or maybe the time signature changes. But one thing I would point out as well, and I do think this is really, really, really important if you're somebody, perhaps you are somebody who's learning lots of jazz standards, or perhaps you're learning lots of tunes for a function gig as well, which is not jazz repertoire at all. It's actually maybe closer to pop repertoire is find out something about that tune that makes it different, something that makes it individual. And what you'll find is when you go back to that tune in three months time, perhaps even two years time, as much as that, you will immediately go, what's important about this tune? Well, it has that melody that starts here and then eventually kind of crawls down and or, or, or maybe it's something to do with the form, for example. You know, So I think a lot about what else aside from the harmony is important about the tune. What does the melody do that's different? What about the rhythm? So, I remember, uh, and you know, learning, for example, Thelonious Monk tunes are master classes in this. He's a composer that really makes every single song count. There is no cookie cutter method for how he composes. He makes every single bar essentially sound only like that song. And so, what I typically do now, whether it's learning Stevie Wonder songs or whatever it is, is pick out something from that song that you just wouldn't find anywhere else. So, I think about, even the opening riff of Superstition, or I think about the, what would be the, there's an intro rhythm, I think in Monk's I Mean You, which always catches me off guard if I, if I don't shed it for a long time, but I know it's something that's really individual to the piece. And as soon as I hear that or remember that, the rest of the tune sort of falls into place. And I had a really good teacher a long time ago who used to teach me this method because he would play, he would play um, a lot of the kind of jazz minutiae, gypsy jazz Sort of material as well i was learning classical from him at the time so it was quite jarring to have these conversations mid mid classical guitar lesson but he would talk about using this learning or memory method to remember tunes by sort of mapping what the tunes landmarks were so callum like you said you know thinking about the form of the tune whether it's uh, strophic or what's the other one through composed so whether it's verse and chorus verse and chorus bridge middle eight whatever it may be and then thinking about all the little things that make up what make that tune individual and yeah that's absolutely it i know there are other people as well that would say if you really want to learn a tune and i know peter bernstein says this learn all the individual horn parts learn the pianist's part learn the bass player's part as well and you can get really really deep into a song but i think if you're trying to learn a lot of repertoire or find a way find a method that is simple to learn and then find out what is important about that song and make it stick
0: nice one very good very insightful Next question is from Daniel Gerliani or Gerliani. Apologies for the pronunciation. We have, all right, this should be a quick one. Uh, Tyson versus Bruce Lee, who wins in a street fight? <laughs> Let's try and be as quick as possible. I, I'm i going to be straight forth here and say, like, I'm totally not hip to fighting and fighters. Like, I, I don't consume that stuff at all. Uh, but I would say Bruce Lee. Uh, I don't have a reason. I just think he's a pretty badass guy. I'm going to say Bruce Lee, but like it's, I don't know.
1: I'm going to say if it's a street fight, you have to take into account a couple of things. You have to take into account that Bruce Lee will use all of his limbs, whereas Tyson <laughs> will use his fists. But also, you have to consider this. You have to consider that Tyson would have been a heavyweight as well if they'd fought together at the same time. Um, I'm going to say Tyson because the guy's one of the, the greatest to ever do it. There's my reasoning.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a tough one. I just I just I remember watching like lots of Bruce Lee Bruce Lee films when I was younger and all the things that I used to do. But also like I, I loved watching um like boxing matches as well, like all the all the Tyson stuff. Um and it still still kills me to watch the time where he gets beat. <laughs> um but I think it's it's actually a really tough one. I don't know like how you measure up both of them, but I would probably I think Tyson. I would maybe say Tyson. Nice. I mean, I
0: I really don't have an informed opinion here, Um, but it sounds like you two know a little bit more about it. So let's just collectively say Tyson. (laughs) All right. This question doesn't have a name, unfortunately. If you ask this question, thanks so much for submitting it. I think it came in via Mr. uh, Handyside's channel. So it's saying, is playing music for yourself or others? Such a deep question. Like, uh, we're not going to be able to get into the whole philosophy of that, because I feel like there's there's so much to go, but anybody fancy starting that one?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'll go for that one Go for it um, I think there's a time and place for both uh, I think that, you know, going back to like imp- talking about improvisation and things, and then maybe talking about remembering songs for gigs like those are two two musical uh, two different musical scenarios where you could say you're maybe playing for other people because maybe you're just doing a gig um on the weekends to make some extra money maybe that's just something that you do on the weekends but um, there's also that you know that quiet time where you get to shed and you kind of play for yourself and maybe you're just trying to work on something and develop that something um, and then some, maybe sometimes it's about community bringing people together maybe that's not just about yourself you're talking about trying to make people connect through music um, who maybe struggle to do that maybe they don't have too many connections that way so they use music to do that so I think it's it's definitely based on the scenario, um, but I think it's definitely it's very inclusive, but it's also something that we can do, you know, at, on our own, essentially, in our kind of quiet, quiet space and quiet time as well.
0: Nice one. I, it's I kind of I didn't want to answer this one first because I really was unsure, and I can only answer it from my own perspective. I don't want to be objective here and say like, well, you could do this or that. I think that, I'm not going to lie, like I think I play music for myself, and I'm totally fine with admitting that. Like I write my own music and get other people to play that with me, to make a collective sound. And I do feel like that music is very, like I can have the best time of my life in a rehearsal because the music's happening. I don't really mind if there's that external, like it's for someone else. But I also do understand as a sort of, up-and-coming band leader that you kind of need to motivate people by that external thing of like perform with other people and I it is like with my my whole heart that I hope people enjoy it but I also in some way don't mind like honestly uh so I would say
1: for myself to be honest yeah do you know I think this is a really interesting question also because you can you know go down the route of thinking about it very philosophically and think well what is the purpose of music or art in general or should art be something that's commented on or a comment for but i would really take this question because i know we're 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 strapped for time i would think about this question really from the place of i don't know let, let's put a situation together let's put a hypothetical situation so if i'm on stage and i'm playing my own music and you know there's a crowd there and People seem to enjoy it and whatever. I think when you look at that situation, you know, I've composed the music because it's stuff that I like and I've maybe put a, a band together because it's people that, that I dig as well who are able to kind of perform that music in in the in in the light that I want it to, to be performed. But when you kind of think a little bit wider outside of the box of what's happening on stage, there are things to do with stage etiquette and, you know, people are there to see a show and there to be entertained. And there is definitely something in, you know, how much work does a band leader or a performer have to do in keeping the audience interested or engaged? And although I can't speak on that so much, I think in the wider sort of sphere of things, people turn up to your show, not because they're doing you a favor. People turn up to your show because they like your music from an individual place. And I think there's something really important about doing things that I suppose serve you first or that tick your boxes. I think it's it can be really difficult, unless it's your intention, it can be really difficult to compose for a situation or for people or for an event or whatever it may be. Um, But I think something that people always resonate with is this honesty in composition or in art, which is a reflection of you. And what you'll find is, again, like I don't go to I don't go to gigs to I mean, I suppose I do go to gigs to support the artist, but I go because I genuinely want to hear what they're doing. I'm really interested in I support them for being them. And I think that's a really big part of art, which is supporting the voice of the artist as well, not just what the artist makes or does or performs or looks like or whatever, but really what who the artist is as a person, I think is something that has to resonate with you as well. So yeah, it's a hard one, but typically I would say that you compose for both reasons. But at the end of the day, you do compose for yourself and people turn up to your shows for themselves.
0: Nice. That's such a great question. Thanks to whoever asked that. That's one that for season two, maybe we should ask every artist, you know, like how, how do you interpret that? Because we all had quite varied answers there and I'm sure other people have the same or would have the same experience. All right. So we are getting in uh, to the uh, 45 minutes sort of time stamp just now. So We'll try and keep the next few quick if we can, but there's also, there's no pressure. So this question is from Anonymous, who is asking, when is a healthy time for you to take a break from any aspect of music? And I'll just kick this, Jack, do you want to kick this one off?
1: I'll kick this one off. Yeah, Yeah, this is a question I received. Um, I think this is a really, really, it's not just a great question, it's an important question as well. And I think it's an, an important question in a time where a lot of us are at home still, or we're sort of, In countries that are coming out of the pandemic or that we're still trying to figure out what this new existence is as artists and as a result there is a lot of conversation going on about what it means to be a content creator or if you as an artist have to be a content creator and unfortunately there's this other world that sort of pops up which means that to continue being relevant you continue you have to continue creating or you know exhibiting yourself online or showing what it is that you do and that can be really tiring if you're expecting yourself to always be current or to always be producing things. And there's a real question about how do I keep my sanity or how do I keep my my mental health kind of in a positive um, way whilst continuing to feel inspired and, and and all those things. And so it's about sort of knowing when it feels right to take a break and trying not to push through periods where you simply don't feel inspired. I think it's funny, I've I've gone through both of these experiences of Feeling really, really inspired and having all this time and being able to produce all this stuff and music and try things and then just dropping off a cliff and feeling like, oh man, I don't feel inspired. I should try and push through this and maybe it will come back around and whatever and the, and the universe will, will, will grant me my in- inspiration again. But yeah, really, how do we know when the right time is to take a break from music? I think um, it's something that's individual for everybody. I think it comes when i mean a big one is yeah simply just feeling uninspired and thinking man i've got to do something else but i think something that musicians especially obsessive musicians um need to keep in mind is that they have to vary their lives they have to have other things that go on that that also influence what they do with music whether that's relationships with people whether it's just other activities um, whether it's just even being able to engage in other ways of socializing that are outside of music because you start to value music from many different perspectives because you're able to see from them as well. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that it's something that everybody has a personal relationship with. You know when you feel burnt out. You also know when you need to take a break from something. You know when you don't feel inspired and sometimes you push through it and it doesn't work and it doesn't happen and you feel, why is this not working for me? Let me push through this. And then you become you know even more disenfranchised with what it is that you're doing. But for that, I would say try to Vary the things that you have going on in your life, and when you feel you need to take a break, take a break, and don't you know, ignore the feelings of guilt or um, whatever it may be that that make you feel that you shouldn't be doing that. Um, but yeah, vary things.
2: I'll weigh in next. Uh, so I think with this one, I find this one tricky. I definitely, I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I definitely through doing too much. You just have to learn that the rest is literally part of the process. Like the rest is you getting better. Like rest is part of that, you know, peak and trough of like creativity. Um it's just it's it's a total duality. Like they, they they have to happen. One can't happen without the other. Um but it sometimes is very, very difficult to be aware of that when things are really busy and things are hectic but things are good. You know, th- sometimes people say uh, if we're always busy then it's always good but it's not always always the case if it's just a very long period of time where you're just constantly going constantly going so i think it's it's viewing it like that it's not viewing the rest and the busyness as two separate things it's really trying to see see them as just different parts of the process um so i think when you do feel burnt out yeah as jack says just uh recharge try and recharge I honestly
0: don't have much to add to what you've both said because you've really summed up my ideas like Callum we talk a lot about the importance of rest within well sport or just work as well and I really res- I respect time off like so much because I know that without it I don't I'm not as productive so for me an important aspect of my week is having weekly time off and a lot of people when I speak to them they like think that I'm constantly busy but to be honest maybe it's because I actually factor in free time as like a thing in my schedule because without it I'm like I'm a mess and so this morning Callum and I went climbing we had a bouldering session for two hours and it's like for me that's so important so important to get away from the instrument but to answer the question uh, without adding uh, sorry by adding a little bit more to what they said was um I think just be honest with yourself I'm sure that like you've all kind of mentioned that but yeah just be honest with yourself and if you feel like you're burning out like take a step back I used to worry when I was in college that if I took a week off or a day off that someone else was getting better than me (laughs) and like nah it's like rest is part of the program really it's so important but yeah I, I think you both gave great answers to that one all right next question is from Jack Chan I think um who is saying what do you think of many guitars um, I'm going to interpret that question sort of uh, what do you think of the idea of having many guitars and you can probably tell if you're watching the video that I have many guitars <laughs> and I'm not going to lie like I don't need this many guitars uh, I I could happily have two of them and I would be set like really so I'm more actually the kind of guy who I could get by with like one preferably two guitars that's
1: my simple answer there You know, I think on that subject as well, I'm somebody that's in some ways sort of the opposite. I mean, I have four main guitars that are really in rotation, but I have two that I focus most of my time on. And honestly, whenever I play another guitar, if 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 I take, for example, my Stratocaster, which is hiding away in a box at the moment. If I don't play that for several months at a time, when I pick that thing up and I plug it in and I play it, I notice, you know, the reaction of the guitar next to the amp is different. The action is different, you know, all kinds of things. My technique changes as well. And so I suddenly feel like I'm starting from nowhere with it. And so something that's really important for me is just the consistency of being able to pick up an instrument, sort of know that many of the bases that I need to, you know, achieve my sound or achieve my uh, technique or that sort of thing, or, or, or what it is that I want to do, whether it's just simple practice as well, are taken care of. So for me, it's all about knowing one instrument really, really well and just trying to create a good relationship with it as well. Because what you start to find as well is that having having lots of guitars is 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 really useful. Like it can be really, really useful for you if you are trying to basically exhibit lots of different sounds or different types of sounds, or you just perhaps just want a different perspective every time you you pick up the instrument, which I think is great as well. But there does come a time where you want to feel at home on an instrument. And that's a really important thing as well, is just getting familiar with that one instrument as well. Um, but that would just be my perspective on it. I have, I have quite a, a limited experience with, with, with that.
2: I definitely feel the same, like feeling not too experienced with, just having played lots of different guitars. Um, so, uh, you know, whenever I um, jam at Reese's, I have a field day because he's got so many guitars. Um, but one of the things that massively changes is how I play and how it feels, which is what Jack is... It's just so important, what Jack's saying, because it's it's that home. It's like, you know, you're you're coming back to home if you're playing, like, a specific instrument. Like, I've got one guitar, essentially, that I go to all the time, because one of the others is out of action, and I just don't have that many guitars. I've always made it work. I've always um, tried to squeeze more out of just having less, be that, you know, just playing with the tone controls, playing with the volume, um, changing the kind of line at which you... Pick your guitar at so that you can create different tones. It's all these different things that you can get out of your guitar that a lot of people might think, "Oh, I need, I need a pedal for that or something like that." You need a pedal to get this kind of sound, like I don't know, like a Chuck Berry sound or something like that, and realize that all you need to do is move your pick back this way and maybe just pick closer to the bridge, and you get this really sharp trebly tone. It's just like it's just a tiny little thing like that. Um, that is, it's all, it's all experimentation, it's all trial and error, but it's, it's all. It's all getting comfortable with the one instrument is definitely what Jack summed up for me personally. Although, if I was to have lots of guitars, I wouldn't complain either.
0: <laughs> yeah, nice one. I, Yeah, guitars, are they're great, they're great. But at the end of the day, it's like uh, what you do with them is important. That's my, my philosophy. All right, uh, really great question from Anonymous who is saying, What does sitting in mean? And that's something that we've been thinking about for <laughs> the last year, I think. And, Jack, we, I don't know if we need to pass this round, maybe, but I, I feel like we, we've spent a lot of time trying to find what the the project is, and would you be kind enough to explain?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're right, we spent a lot of time, as uh, of course, because people know sitting in has been very quiet for such a long time as we've been trying to kind of renovate it and think about what we want to do in the future. and. Hence, why we're so excited to be doing things like this and back again, and producing all these cool, different ideas, uh, which I'm sure you, the listener, will will be part of. But yeah, sitting in. So when when we investigated, you know, the roots to this 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 term, as musicians usually you know are quite familiar with, sitting in is a colloquialism. So it's a bit of a saying amongst musicians, and sitting in means to be invited into a creative circle to take part. So whether you went to somebody's gig and they said, oh, you've got your guitar, why don't you come on and play a couple of songs or simply turning up to a rehearsal or a jam, that sort of thing. Sitting in is all about inviting you, the listener or you, the guest, or simply anybody who, who comes on to be part of the creative discussion and investigation um, of what we have going on. So we hope it's sitting in that you feel that you can have your say, that you can and become integrated in what it is that we're doing here because although we are a podcast and that's what we're doing we're trying to we're trying to start a community as well and so it really helps with that dialogue and hence why all the questions that we receive today it's so great to go through them and, and read them and be really inspired by them and be inspired by what you're inspired by as well so i suppose the long and short of that is that sitting in is all about being inclusive
0: 100 percent, man fantastic very well put and i would like to add that on the surface like sitting in as a podcast right now, but we do intend on growing it into and exploring some other areas of um I guess the music industry so in the future uh really who knows what sitting in might be but we have some really exciting ideas so hopefully if you uh, if you're into it you know stay on stay on the bus for a few stops with us and see where it goes. All right this question is the one that I was most intimidated by. <laughs> it's from Cass Grant media who is uh, a really cool musician in Florida, actually, who I've, uh, I've spoken to quite a lot over the last few years. All right. I might not have much to add here, but the question is, theoretically, why do you think different people feel different... No, sorry. Why do you think different people feel familiar connotations of musical colours? Who, Um... I'm not even sure how to start answering that. It's such a such a specialised question. Um, but my limited knowledge, I can try and shine a wee bit of light on it. And I think it's something to do with emotion. And oh, I, I read up a little bit about this just to get some ideas. I'm not going to lie. like This isn't stuff that I've been studying. But it's something to do with... like If you think about marketing, for example, if you wanted to make someone come across as like a businessy type of person. The colour blue is used a lot. If you want something to be in power, red, if it's a baby, then it could be like a, a really light colour. And I think through media, mainstream media, we've maybe just been conditioned. For example, pink is for this, blue is for that. So that's not necessarily how uh how we view things nowadays, but for a lot of people that's we're being conditioned to think like that. And yeah, I, I I don't know what the link is from that point to specifically music. There is one that people who specialize in that topic can share with you, but um it's something to do with emotions and then the colors that we have uh, been conditioned to associate with certain things. Linking that into something. Ask J- Jacob. Jacob Coller will know. Does anybody have an idea that they want to? Oh, you do. Go for, well, go for it, Jack.
1: It is quite a hard, uh, wordy question to get through, because part of me is thinking, is this a question about synesthesia, um, in which, you know, there's many examples of musicians who, and synesthesia, for those who don't know, is uh, a sort of a process that goes on in the brain, where when you hear music, your brain interprets them as colours, if you like. And so many people like to group, perhaps it's notes or chords or chord qualities or that sort of thing, with certain colours. But across the board it's very different from musician to musician so off the top of my head i know that oliver messian who's a, who's a who was a composer in the in the 1940s a french composer he was somebody that he created lots of different i suppose you would call them like um what would you call them like chord groupings or or note groupings that would be so maybe something to do with serialism i might be completely butchering that that history there but what he what messian would do is he would group notes or collections of notes um and attribute them to a certain color so he would say that you know these notes when played together or played in a series they evoke the color orange or they evoke the color purple or whatever but i know that there have been some studies that have found that this is not actually it's not actually um similar i suppose across the board with people who experience synesthesia. so i'm thinking that it was on that topic of you know how, how do we relate kind of uh, music to color and maybe there's kind of the synesthesia link there that's the only sort of obvious link between those two that i can sort of think of as well um but yeah that's a, that's a bit of a strange one
0: yeah no a fantastic question callum um i'm keen to hear your thoughts in a minute but maybe uh season two we should get someone who specializes in that to talk about uh if you want to hear some thoughts on it check out the episode with audrey busanich in season one we get into a little bit there. Um, but yeah, Callum, do you have anything to add to that?
2: That's a really tricky one. Um I don't know how much I can add to that. Um, or I, even if I fully fully interpret the question. Um But I think what Reece, what you were what you were mentioning there was the the frequency in which you know these norms have been about and how people grow up and pick up these norms again and then it just kind of keeps happening and happening and people just kind of associate these colours with um, specific moods maybe. I know that with a few people that I've spoken to who maybe have an element of like perfect pitch, they hear specifics or they see specific colours even within the inversions of a major chord. Like they can can hear like specific or they can see different colours for Root position C major, and then a different one for first inversion, and then a different one for second inversion. Um, but apart from that, it's a really tricky one. Um, I remember not too long ago we were um, we were all in the same room talking about something kind of similar um, with Rick Beato and Dylan, and him being you know just the kind of super child with uh, the, the hearing and the the perfect pitch, and I think the relative ear as well. But I think it's this like kind of connection of like two, just two things. It's just like from point A to point B in our heads, we've made an association with this sound to a color. It's just like I maybe quite simply put, it could be that. But it's just that like tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold with all the different colors that we see. But there's, I've I've seen quite a lot of people try and describe things like that. Like Adam Neely does a, a TED talk about this kind of thing where, you know, throughout the the, the, like the electronic spectrum, if you kind of think of it that way and you think about all the frequencies from like 20 hertz, like 20 kilohertz, that's our range, that's our hearing range. But then above that there's all these other things that then eventually move into colour and waves and things like that. So one of the things that I think he tries to conclude is that a lot of these colours in people's paintings are simply just things that are higher up on this electronic spectrum that we see instead of hear because we can only hear from as we say that kind of audible range of like twenty hertz to twenty kilohertz. So there's so many different takes. Um it's just what do you knuckle down on and what do you what makes sense. It's it's a difficult one. It's a really difficult one.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm interested in that because this morning when I I saw that question, I was like, let me have a think and hence the tiny bit of research I done. I saw that they described F as being the colour grey, like it was some sort of objective truth. And that's funny, because when I describe that key to someone, it's always a super dark, like grey, drich sort of colour, and I feel like, but for me F-sharp is darker than F, like I don't know why, Um F-sharp to me is like the darkest key, pretty much. Like E minor is not nearly as dark as F-sharp, so there's something there. I'm keen to explore more. So, Cass, thanks for the question. Uh, You always give such uh, thoughtful questions. So, cheers for that. All right. So, we have just a couple questions left. This question is a a juicy one. Um, I'm not sure how much we'll get into it just now, but we can certainly go around. The question is from Anonymous saying, how do you get a sound that is yours? And anybody fancies... Callum, why don't you start this one? You up for that?
2: Yeah, sure. Um... I think I was having this conversation with a student not too long ago. Um, I think to get a sound that's yours, it's really important to, this kind of sounds like it's doing the opposite, but to absorb as much music that you just enjoy as much as possible. Um, Because all we really do as people who create is essentially taking our influences and kind of just, you know, it's almost like we're, we're just like musical kind of blenders. We, chuck loads of stuff in and then we kind of just spit stuff back out Um, if we've absorbed that kind of music and that thing that we chuck back out is usually some form of combination of those things that we've absorbed. Um, So I think to really make something that's yours it's definitely a combination of take the time to absorb lots of things that you just really enjoy. Just things that you really like the sound of. I think that's where it starts but then it's really... That's that's maybe like part of the part of the pie, but then you need to also try and spend that time getting into deep states of just work and creativity, because then otherwise you can't really develop that sound without without that portion as well. So I think it's it's definitely twofold. I would say that you want to try and absorb as much as you can, uh, with things that really influence you and maybe want even pick want make you want to pick up the instrument, um, but as well as that, just having the ability to get into deep deep practice and deep kind of creativity as well
0: nice I my my take on that is I was actually just typing up to try and reference exactly who said it I I can't quite remember who said it but I always think of the analogy sort of trying to draw a perfect circle but couples with what Callum just said it's like you need to fill your cup so to speak and it's like you need to take in stimulus and uh, listen to new music and do that whole thing and then it's a case of trying to in some way maybe it's copy it word for word or maybe it's paraphrase it so it may, not literally paraphrase it but like you know do a sketch of what they've said Um, and I find that I think the process of becoming yourself is trying to do that thing of like drawing the perfect circle and then just embracing the bumps <laughs> you know like the little bits like in between there they are you and The more you embrace those little bits, the more you start to focus on them and the more you might start to realize little aspects of your artistry that you didn't really realize, but you kind of realized by failing to imitate or something like that. Um, Yeah, I would say that's that's my
1: that's my two pins. I like what both of you have said there, because you've taken a completely different tack to kind of what I was thinking in my mind. And I seem to, and maybe this is just a realization of recently, something that I know, Reese, you and I have talked about quite a lot. But I'm sort of of the belief that your sound, the thing that you identify as you or that you commandeer as being, you know, you embodied as a, as a musical sound, is typically something that happens away from the instrument. I think there's a level of confidence and courage, really, in being able to express yourself and say, this is my sound, this is why it's different, this is, you know, this is me. And I think some of the most, I suppose, to, to use the word again, brave or courageous artists that we see, for example, your Pat Mathenies or your Alan Holdsworth's, people who really stand outside, or, or John Coltrane as well, is, is another is another example, artists who really stand outside of the the general sound that other the other musicians were making at the time as well. I suppose singers have that as well, but being courageous enough to own your difference. And I really do think that owning your difference and having the confidence and the bravery to say, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to pursue. I'm doing this sound or I'm I'm trying to create this sound for, you know, the following different reasons. I think a lot of that happens away from the instrument. I think it it comes from that confidence of self feeling like I don't have to regurgitate things. I don't have to fit into somebody else's box about what I am or what I should sound like or what's going to get me the gig. But more about just saying, I'll take whatever it is that I enjoy about it, as Callum, you were saying and just really trying to run with it and the more i learn about that and the more that i i try to force that at the instrument or i try to i try to try to be different when i play i start to realize that really that's a mindset thing your sound comes it's just whatever it is that you seem to gravitate towards cuz you know no two people are truly the same when they pick up the instrument they really aren't um so yeah i would say that a lot of that work seems to come from just being interested and curious about broadening your own character away from the instrument so i would say don't be too concerned about trying to come up with the latest sound or a different tone from everybody else be concerned about trying to be your own person and the music will take care of itself
2: Callum, do you want to add in uh, no i don't i think i think that sums everything up i think that's a good diverse bunch of points on that on that question nice all right we're down to the last two if you've gotten it this far,
0: or if you stayed with us this far, you're uh, you are a trooper. Good job. I hope you're enjoying it. Alright. Second last question is from Ariel Biagio. I sorry if I've mispronounced your name. Favourite open tuning? Um I'm not gonna lie, I don't have a ton of experience with open tuning. Uh I was gonna say drop D, but that's not an open tuning. <laughs> I once tuned my, tuned my guitar to E standard, and that was kind of fun. But DadGad, does that count as an open tuning? Yeah. Dad Gad was fun for a time. I used to try and do all the tappy tappy stuff on the acoustic guitar, but um Yeah, I don't I don't I'm not really drawn to an open tuning if I'm being honest. So I, I can't quite uh pin down one that I prefer.
1: I don't know if this counts as an open tuning, but something that I uh in the past couple of years have been just trying to mess with here and there. I try not to do it too much because it usually annoys my guitar tech who's like if you're going to play this guitar and you know i'm going to set it up then i want you to play it in standard tuning because of you know and all the, the the crazy physics that go that go along with that so i accept his i accept his reasoning for that but something i have been experimenting with and i've noticed that guys like ted green and i believe like uh lenny bro as well experience quite a lot with the instrument is tuning it down so it's still in standard but how would you even describe it? the The tuning is standard, but your lowest your lowest note instead of E might be D flat, and so you tune basically in standard from D flat. So like D flat, G flat, uh, whatever it be from there. I, I can't even kind of think of it off the top of my head. G flat, what B as well. There you go. E, and then that horrible sort of major third happening there as well with the with the G sharp. But just messing around with that sort of tuning is has been really really interesting because you know as someone who really enjoys trying to evoke the sounds of the piano it's really interesting to play around with those ranges as well and all these chords that really they don't they don't change much the pitch of them changes absolutely but you really get the feel of playing a different instrument almost when you when you mess with the with the tonality of them but yeah i'm I'm really not sure if that counts as like an open tuning per se or if we're talking about dadgad or or any of these other ones uh,
2: i'll i'll weigh in um i've had a little bit of experience with this and there's a lot of artists that i've listened to and tried to uh, you know, play some of the music that has that utilizes a lot of open tunings, and one of the ones, one of the artists was Devon Townsend, which I um, mentioned when we were we were all um, having a catch up. Um, but he uses when it's six string anyway. Sometimes or maybe the seven strings are when it's six string, you'll use open C, so that's C G C G C E. So you've got your major third on top. Uh, I don't know if he's aware of those kind of things, but the results that you get are incredible. The shapes that you can, the, the simple shapes that you can use that create all these just just mad, wacky kind of ideas, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've probably thought some of that stuff that I'd played that night by Devon Townsend was a bit wacky, a bit out there. Like, it's all, there's a lot of, um there's a lot of places to explore when you tune the instrument to somewhere that's like, you know, you've changed home. Like, you just don't know where anything is. You don't know how to um, find, like, any kind of reference point on the instrument, because it's not something that you think about theoretically once you've tuned in into an open tuning. It's just something that you've done it probably more for convenience and it allows that creative spark to happen a lot quicker. Um, that's something that I just found. There was so many cool ideas that you can get from being in, um, yeah, uh, tunings where it's maybe like a full minor chord or a full major chord, like it highlights an entire chord, um, because then shapes can become super easy to move up as well yeah that's that's my two cents
0: wait i definitely need to check out more because i'm i'm just i'm struggling away in standard tuning (laughs) that's enough for a lifetime for me (laughs) all right last question of the q a is from anonymous who's wondering or asking our opinion on is reading music still important if you want to be a session guitar player and i'll start that one off by saying, it depends what kind of session work you want to do. I think that a lot of people think about, well, I mean, it could be the performance world or the teaching world or the session world as this sort of black and white thing, where it's like, if you're a teacher, well, this is a repertoire you teach, or this is how you teach. And it's the same with session work. I think if you want to work for a big organization as a session guitarist in film music, you're probably going to need to be able to read music pretty well. Whereas if you want to be a session guitarist for songwriters in the UK who are up and coming, probably don't really need to learn and read music that much. Um, from my own experience, um, I have i don't think I've ever done a session where someone has put dots in front of me. Sometimes they might tell me what the chords are, just as a heads up, like, oh, this is how I'm thinking about it. But more often than not, my ear takes care of everything and I either learn it by ear or if I'm recording a part I just make the part myself which is my favorite part of being a session musician. Um, I'm not the best guy to phone if you want me to play your film score like I'm really not and I'm not super interested in that but that's fine because there's a world of songwriters who would you know be up for working and not necessarily with me just with a guitarist who don't even know how to read music themselves maybe and if they do then great but most of the time they just Give you what you ask for or nothing. <laughs> and in that case, you've got to rely on these guys. So, yeah, your ears are your best friend there.
1: Yeah, I think on that subject as well, because I'm somebody that's had both experiences working in the studio, both with music, scores, some scores that you see on the day, some scores that you're sent beforehand, and sometimes, and most of the time, really turning up to a session and it's really just, you know, the artist sort of piecing things out of their mind or simply just saying, express yourself or just try things. I typically think that it's always worth having that bow or that string to your bow, I should say. Well, messed up the quote there, but it's always worth having that string to your bow or your violin or your guitar, whatever it is that you're playing. And I think especially for guitar players as well, that it's you know, Reese, as you say, it's not like a live or die thing. Typically, it depends on the artist, it depends on the occasion, it depends on the music, all those sort of things, depending on how orchestrated it is as well. It really, it, there are so many variables that it depends upon. But I think for guitar players, more than anything else, don't count yourself out of just saying, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to encounter many decisions in that it's useful, so I'm just not going to do it. Because you you don't want to really find yourself in that position of know perhaps you get called into a really cool session and you don't realize that it's quite heavily orchestrated and somebody wants you to do A B C or D and the piano player reads and perhaps even the bass player reads and you know maybe maybe the singer reads as well and you're the one that's left out. So it is useful sometimes. It's it's getting like less common I suppose you really don't see it much at all. But again like you're never really asked to sight read things in the moment. Like that's just not super common. And usually if you've struck up a good relationship with the artist or with you know whatever um whoever's running the session then usually they'll either send you music beforehand of which they just say you know write your own part or surprise me come up with something that you know that fits the occasion or serves the music uh or here's the here's the music that I have sort of imagined uh, sessions in 3 weeks or whatever see how you get on so I think both of those occasions you'll you'll find most of the time though that you'll never be asked to read anything dead on the spot of you know okay here it is here's your part read it perfectly i think that may i suppose it depends really it could be different if you're if you're depping if you're doing stuff for musicals or um really kind of high-end professional function bands but typically i would say that your ear as reese says your ears is is your biggest tool really it's your most important thing that you could you could rely upon and it's it's usually the thing that's going to get you hired in the first place which is how good are you at interacting with people but yeah, that's that's what I would say on the matter. It really can't hurt to 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 learn it, and it's also it's not as it's, it's not as hard as people kind of make it out to be as well. It's worth even just having the, the the basics of reading music. It can be really really helpful for you.
2: Nice. Yeah, I feel to be honest exactly the same. There's I honestly love someone asking me to go into the studio and basically just say, "Oh, we need some we need some bass on this, or we need some guitar on this." Maybe even maybe even some keys. Um, I've had that quite a few times. Even just with like friends, and then like you know, friends recommending me and whatnot. But I just love that. I love like just going into the studio, not having heard the track, and then just putting something down. Love it. And it's never. There's never any music needed for that at all. Maybe I get given the chord, but most of the time, I just like I'll just say to them, I'll I'll get it. Just like I'll, let me work it out. Um, there's never been a situation where I've had to read music. Um, for any session any session work whatsoever and i don't think i can't see myself being in that position uh, especially for guitar i can't really see myself getting put into that position where i do need to read a score to get by um and yeah as you both said it's the ear it's like that's that's really honestly what has got me so much work um and i think we all feel the same that way for the most part
0: yeah i just to summarize that i think we're all in agreement that it's good to know absolutely you know it's like you need to know how it makes sense at all but uh, nowadays it's becoming less common as Jack says and more often than not as we all said the ears will hopefully be able to uh, get you through the session and if not then maybe you need to brush up on your reading for the next gig and you know go for it but yeah good question and thanks so much to everybody who said in those questions like that uh, that was really fun for me. I always enjoy doing an episode where we just go through a bunch of different things. And when we start off the season with episode one, we will be answering focused questions each week, and they'll hopefully be about twenty, thirty minutes. Um, we'll see if we can keep it to that. We might get carried away,
2: but yeah. Does anybody want to add anything before we wrap it up? I think um, the only thing I would say is uh, thanks for having me on the first sitting in jams. I'm looking forward to many, many more. Absolute pleasure to have you both here. And I'm so
0: excited to get this next project going. So remember, keep your eye out on our social media for any announcements. We will be trying to get this out weekly. And in the future, if you want to be on the podcast in some way, send us your questions in. And we have this idea in the future. And please let us know what you think of if you ask a question and you want to come on the podcast and actually be there while we answer it. We're thinking about having that element in there uh, as well. So, yeah, if you are interested in that and want to be involved in the podcast, either live or by asking a question, DM us on Instagram or send us a message on Facebook. Just all the usual places. We're there. Make sure you send us a message. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting started. I shall see you all in the next one.